Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Jess, and you're listening to Nutty Bites. And today we have an episode for you today where we're going to be talking a little bit about some unsung heroes that need a little more attention. With me today, as always... Hi, I'm Tech. And we have our regular guests from down south. Hi, I'm Jason. I'm Jen. And our guest from out west. That's me, Sonorous Vox. And we're going to be talking a little bit about some heroes from histories that we think deserve a movie. So the idea is these are people that don't have movies about them or at least none that are in popular culture. And we are going to talk about why they deserve a movie, why it would be an entertaining movie and that that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Anything to add, Tech? Yeah, we're not look. We're, we're not trying to do real Hollywood quality pitch meetings here. Yeah, uh, just. Tell us about the person and what they're about, and we'll ask some questions and we'll have fun with it. But the the don't try to limit yourself to the, the standard the the, the uh, a standard Hollywood type pitch meeting. We're not that mean. We're not that cruel. We're not that good. Um, and if you want to listen to something like that, there's disaster piece theater. Yeah, and they do it much better than we do. And, and other podcasts that do it a lot better <laughs> than we ever will. This is just to tell some cool stories of some unsung heroes that we know and why we think they'd make a the you know they'd make a cool movie. Um, and we may do more episodes like this if we like the format, because there's a lot of unsung heroes from history and each of us has brought one person. So we're each only going to talk about one person. Also by unsung, just to define for everyone listening, I mean, unknown to the popular masses. Um, I, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, a biography has been written or maybe they're known in one circle or another. And that's OK. But the 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 fact that there hasn't been a major Hollywood movie about these people is what we're talking about here, that these yeah. people need to be known a lot better. Fair. So I don't want to I don't want to hear. And uh, well, they're not really unsung. I already know that person. I'm expecting this to come up in chat at least seven times. Well, but, I think it's like that. The stuff you missed in history class podcast i'm sure they get all the time i heard that in history class we covered that <laughs> yeah no no yeah, let's but, just have fun but we're also we're also like thinking about just our generation when we say that too a lot of the time we'll say that and there's plenty of plenty of younger folk that still will be listening to this that won't have heard of these people there's yeah. plenty of people from different perspectives different backgrounds different yeah. uh, different levels of interest that won't have heard of these people so let them enjoy it. Let them enjoy finding someone new. I just prefer to be negative and pessimistic in everything I do. But no, you're absolutely right. Uh, hopefully we can shed some light on some really, really cool people in history that you may have never heard of. And uh, even if you have heard of them, maybe there's a couple aspects of their story that you didn't know. Yeah. And you'll learn a couple cool things. So who wants to go first? I guess I'll go first. <laughs> What's that? Jen said, don't everybody jump up at once. I think I, Fine, I'll go first then. All right. So um, I will start um, by giving a couple pieces of background, and then we'll talk about the person in general. So in uh, since most of the audience happens to be uh, American, uh, the highest medal you can earn in the United States military in all services is called the Medal of Honor. The equivalent in the British Commonwealth is called the Victoria Cross. The Victoria Cross is notoriously hard to get in like 300 years or 200 years of uh, history. They've only given it out. A thousand-ish times, ish, three thousand, a couple thousand, and uh, out of the hundreds of millions of soldiers that have been involved in in wars for the Commonwealth, and it's for conspicuous gallantry. But one of the important criteria is that there can be no self-preservation. 
So they give an example of a pilot in an airplane full of passengers. The plane is burning. It's going to crash into the ground. He accomplishes his mission, turns the plane around, and uh, while he's been shot and he's bleeding out, he manages to land the airplane. Saves everybody's lives. Did not get the Victoria Cross because in bringing the plane back, he saved his own life too. So he was worried about saving his own life and therefore was not completely selfless and therefore does not meet the criteria for a VC. It's that hard to get. During World War II, there's a little town, in the North, well, it's still there now, but uh, in, uh, in the north of France, there's a little town called Dieppe. In 1942, the Allies were already planning the big Normandy beach invasions that happened in June of 1944. They decided they wanted to see how hard would it be to land on the beaches of Norm- to land on the beaches of northern France. So they came up with a raid. The idea is that they were going to land troops on a beach, hold the town, destroy everything in the town, gain as much intelligence as they could, and then leave. And they would use that intelligence and they would use the lessons learned from this to better plan the Normandy invasions of 44. It failed catastrophically. Of the 6,086 Canadians, um, Brits, Free French, Poles, and Czechs that landed on that beach, 3,623 were killed, wounded, or became prisoners. That's over half. It was an utter disaster in less than six hours. And then they peeled back into the the ones that could peeled back into the boats and left. The gentleman I want to talk about today, the unsung hero that doesn't get nearly enough credit, is John Weir Foote. Captain Foote was on the beaches of Dieppe that day. He was the unit chaplain for the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry. He's a non-combatant. As a matter of fact, at the time, his rank was only honorary. He's the honorary captain. Captain Foote was unarmed and was helping the regimental medical officer and the aid station taking injured soldiers from the battlefield and bringing them to the little shelter that they had on the beach. When they had to push back off the beach, they had a disabled landing craft in the water that they were using as an aid station. And time and time again, he went out into the machine gun fire, grabbed people, and brought them back. For eight hours, he ran up and down that beach, grabbing wounded men and bringing them to the aid station. When the raid, when everybody was captured, killed, injured, wounded, they're getting off that beach. They've got to go back. The landing craft were taking them back out to the boats in the channel. Captain Foote was the last man alive on that beach. As he was being helped up into the landing craft, he looked back onto the beach and he saw some Canadians being taken prisoner. And he said, I can't go back. I have to stay with them jumped off the landing craft, walked up the beach, and was willingly taken prisoner. Spent the rest of the war in a prisoner of war camp taking care of the Canadian prisoners, and at the end of the war, he came home to a Victoria Cross. He is the only chaplain to win a VC. He is my absolute utter hero, and he really really shows that conspicuous gallantry and selflessness. Imagine being unarmed as 3,800 people die around you, and you're still there doing a job, helping them the best you can. And at the end of all of it, when you finally get to go home, you're like, uh-uh, I ain't done yet. I gots to go. And then he goes and willingly lets himself be captured prisoner. And I don't know if you know this, but the Germans were not the nicest of all people to their prisoners. He had work to do, son. He did have work to do. And we need a movie about this guy. What I love about this story is, like you said, there's no self-preservation. He did not go there for his own well-being, not just, you know, physical, but also emotional. It was all about the people that were left. And he was like, I have to take care of their well-being. Mm-hmm. And that to me is is 
awesome. And I think it would make a really good movie because we've seen some movies and it's been a while since we've had this in the past, uh, since we've had one of these. But we we used to have a lot of like prisoner of war type movies. And those are some of the the best. You know, there are some really great prisoner of war movies uh, set in World War Two. Uh, I think having a little bit of a resurgence of that would be, be nice. I like the idea that it'll be about somebody um, that it's, you know, it's a war movie, but it's about compassion. It's not about the fighting. It's about taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we need right now. So that would give us a different kind of war movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are you thinking uh, for casting as your main role? Well, there's only one person who can do a Canadian war movie like this justice, and he's done it twice so far. It has to be Paul Gross. Of course. You guys remember him as the Mountie in Due South, but he's also had quite a good career making some pretty good war movies like Passchendaele and uh, Hyena Road. Yep. Uh, there's a couple addendum that I want to add to this. One, he can't play John Foote. He's way too pretty. Yeah, Paul Gross is way too pretty to play John Foote. Uh, I want Tom Hanks to play him. Oh, okay. Now, was... Was Foot's First Nations? He was not. Okay. Because I was, I, when you said there's only one person that can do this thing, I definitely thought we were going for that conversation we had last night. <laughs> yeah. Adam Beach? Be, yeah. we, may, we may still be going for that conversation a little bit. Yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll, get, we'll get there in a bit. No, no. Um, uh, I, I would like to throw in the ring for this, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to do a film like this, the guy who did 1917. I know you haven't seen it yet, and we definitely mm-hmm. planned on watching it. But I think the fact that this is not this would not be a combat oriented film, right? Mm-hmm. Like combat is incidental, right? Like because his actions, he's a chaplain. His actions are not combat oriented. They are absolutely focused on helping and healing people, regardless of who they are, because he is a chaplain. Yeah. Um, but so, it's that it, it's it's taking place during that it's that first twenty minutes mm-hmm. of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, except for, for eight straight hours. Yeah, except he doesn't, and he doesn't have a gun, and he he's not fighting yeah. back. He's yeah. literally stuck on that non- beach. Yeah, so you're, you're talking for directing, right? You're talking yeah. Sam Mendes for directing the movie. Yes. Okay. And yeah. I I also think because you haven't seen 1917, but 1917 is literally again combat is secondary. The, yeah, because they're they're messengers, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. They have to carry a message across enemy lines. Matter of fact, the best part about it, some of the best part of that movie, is that initial part where they're going across no man's land. Right. This is um, as far as as uh, viability for a movie goes, too, because this is this is part of part of what we got to think about is would it like would it be accepted by audiences? And the only thing that probably has held this back is that it's a Canadian, and honestly, there is that bias in. Hollywood media against Canadians because there is a very similar story that's been told in film before Mel Gibson, uh, Mel Gibson directed Hacksaw Ridge, which is about a combat medic who wouldn't carry a gun into combat because he was a conscientious objector doing a very similar thing during, during dire circumstances. And it is a movie that did, uh, that did well. It it was a movie that uh, was striking and awesome in that sense that it, it inspires awe, not like, awesome dude but like inspired awe so, so it is very viable that this would make an excellent movie I if think treated that, right i think that this could be a lot like hacksaw ridge with one mm-hmm. major benefit no mm-hmm. andrew garfield trying to do a southern accent oh so, yes yeah. <laughs> no, wrong. andrew garfield you are gorgeous but you don't so we'd be accent. having tom hanks doing a canadian accent then i have i have an alternative by the way mm-hmm. um for uh casting mm-hmm. 
uh, because I was looking at pictures of Captain Foot and he's a little stockier. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it goes against cast type. But what if we put cast Seth Rogen? Oh, the big, made, the big Jewish guy is the chaplain. And well, he's Canadian. That's number one. And he, he having him do something serious, I think I think he could do it. I think he could pull it off. Uh, the the only other big addendum that I've put in here, like w- when the contract is signed to make this movie, if we're going to give this to Paul Gross to produce, mm-hmm. I think he could do an excellent job because like you were saying, Vox, uh, there's that stigma about Canadian war movies, but mm-hmm. Paul Gross has been profitable in doing it twice with yeah. Dashendale and Hyena Road. Yeah. He can make a Canadian war movie and make it make money. Yeah. That's important. But there's one important thing. He's not allowed to put a love story no. in this. And there's not allowed to be a sex scene in the fighting. Which, Agreed. one of the great things that helps us here is that he's a chaplain. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's not going to be any of that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I love, I love horror movies. And I've enjoyed some war movies. And there was Overlord that came out a few years back. That is basically a movie about me caught in the zombie apocalypse because it's about a black paratrooper. It's really good. Except in the middle of this zombie apocalypse World War II movie, they put a love interest. And I'm like, are you serious? It's, it's the, it's the trap of Hollywood. Every yeah. movie needs to have romance to appeal to the, to, and I'm going to put it the Hollywood way, the ladies. The, the women they like the, they they like the they like the romance so you got to have the romance in there it's Ugh. the same hollywood mindset that still has a uh still has a camera term where you take a mid shot of someone from the uh, from the waist up called the double tease because there's two breasts in there Ugh. right so, it's that um, same bs hollywood mindset can i interrupt so, uh jen jen as as you and i being the two people on this cast that identify as ladies uh, do we need a romance or sex in our war movies? No, 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 we do not. We're sick of it too. Pearl Harbor would have been a much better movie oh. if you removed that stupid love story. Hey, that was terrible. You know what would have been a great firefighter movie if they didn't have sex on top of the fire engine? Backdraft. Gone in sixty seconds would have been better without oh. the without yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and and enemy at the gates. Did they really? Oh need- God. Did they really need uh, the sex scene in the bunker? Passchendaele. Did he really need to have sex with oh, the nurse? That was terrible. During an artillery barrage? It is It is really like that. I take two points away for the score yeah. for Passchendaele. It would be a 10, except now it's an 8. And maybe it's a 7.5 because I might have other nitpicks. But it is such a good movie. And then you did that. The only one that's half forgivable was in... I know you guys haven't seen Hyena Road. But it's about troops in Afghanistan. So when they're in the fob, the main character has like a secret liaison with one of his, um, uh, with one of the, with one of the other officers in the camp. And when they have sex, it's mouth and hand stuff behind a bunker where there's no lights and it's hurried because they got to go and they got to do it quick. And that's, that's the kind of believable thing that i allegedly heard happened what allegedly in, in afghanistan that never happened i don't know allegedly Ale- allegedly <laughs> allegedly so, so deployed and I, had to take care of 18 and 19 year old soldiers it allegedly happens so right. while we're while we're still on this little aside too of of uh, how romance would have made uh, romance being gone would have made movies better uh let's let's just point out that pearl harbor would have been better if no other character was focused on but keep a gooding jr's character 
yeah, yeah. well they came back and and, yeah. and wrote yeah. uh, and had him star in a whole movie about um yeah like divers it would have been, it would have been far better far better yeah. with just him. what was that men of honor yes i love yes. that movie because that they shoot really for, for some reason in the pearl harbor story they shoehorned in the story of the doolittle raid with the doolittle yeah. bombers the, the converted mitchells on the aircraft carrier that went and bombed tokyo in a, a revenge raid that is such an awesome story that could be its own movie Instead, mm-hmm. it got shoehorned in as a as a C plot, and it's like, "Hey, Dan Aykroyd, let's let's just put you in as a C plot here." You, you know what? So I'm, disappointing. I'm still very surprised that Dan Aykroyd turned the series off. Oh, like Dan I, Ac- I just it surprises me, and I'm I'm very happy about Dan. That. Dan Aykroyd could have played foot. A young Dan Ooh, Aykroyd could definitely. A young Dan play Aykroyd. Foot. Oh yeah, he has played a minister before. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, he has. He yeah, was, that, that's uh, it. it was a sitcom. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. He was a leather jacket wearing uh, motorcycle yeah. riding priest. But yeah. like, yeah, he would. He he had all of the like, he had all of the acting chops for it. The 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 yeah. emotional weight for it. He looks more like the guy. The, the yeah, guy he than actually really does. Like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember, guys, but, you guys haven't been I in mean, the private sector. He's been in the private sector, and he knows they want results. Yeah. If we're going. <laughs> If we're going into dream casting, right? Like of any anybody throughout history, yeah. he would be the guy I think for that role. That would be awesome. All he, right, he has done a serious as well in another Canadian movie, the uh, the story, the the made for TV movie about the Arrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 he was really good. He was in one that. of the senior engineers. He was really good in that. Really good. Oh, in that. Great. Now, <laughs> now there's a movie about the Avro Arrow. I got to get rid of my hero. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd is Canadian. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. All right, who's next? Um, I'll go. I'll go. I, I was gonna say, I think Jason should go next. Um, and I, I, I have three that I could pick from, but you're just doing one because we'll do this do again. One, and I, and, and I do this because for a multitude of reasons, I'm going to pick Robert Johnson, who is considered one of the fathers, if not the father of blues in America to include the Delta style of blues, because blues was a big thing for me and my mom. It's one of the things we bonded over. It's one of the things that I've loved and it's a holdover from um, being raised by my mother. And Robert Johnson is basically considered the blues guy who started that myth, that legend of selling his soul to the devil because of how good his music was, right? Like they talk about making the deal with the devil at the crossroads. It's about this guy. But the thing is, one of the things about him that I think is very unsung is that you have these minuscule kind of like off the beaten path interviews with people like Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Bob Dylan, um, the band Rush, the band Slipknot, Fleetwood Mac, Eric Clampton, um, Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, Alex uh, Corner, who is considered the father of blues in the UK, all cite this man as their influence, as the dude who basically started the path that led them to make their careers and their lives. And this carries a lot of weight because Eric Clampton did an album, he did songs with B.B. King, who is one of the most modern, influential blues singers of all time. And if Eric Clampton says, you know, this guy, like, he's the real deal, Mm. you kind of have to take that with some weight. And I feel like he's overshadowed by people like B.B. King, by uh, Bobby Blue Bland, by Mahalia Jackson, who was one of those uh, soul singers who fused gospel with blues. And you don't hear about him a lot because, let's be honest, he died at 20-some years old. 27. 27. He's part of the 27 Club. Yeah. he And his music didn't catch on until, until years after he was dead. His death went so unnoticed 
that people went looking to talk to him about his music because they didn't know he was dead. Yeah, yeah, for 30 years yeah. until his music started to resurface and people started to get an interest in him. But yeah, like some some huge names in rock and roll music of the 60s, Bob Dylan, Keith Richards, Robert Plant, all list him as a major influence. Yeah, and and it's well, that's one of the and this is this is a very serious topic, but people get mad when white quote unquote styles of music are attributed to their to influences from African American styles of music, blues, gospel, rock and roll. People get real mad when you say Elvis stole it, lock, stock, and barrel, but he did. But he did. That's <laughs> that's it's 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 a like Elvis. If if we invite Elvis on the podcast here and and bring him back from the planet that he's visiting, he would be like, oh yeah, I totally did. But that's because white people weren't listening to it. So I took their music. But it was the the white people that were listening to it, you know, in firm denial that, yeah, well, I'm not going to listen to black music. I want to listen to to white music because I mean, because racism of the 1950s, you know, and let's be honest, he grew up near black families and black churches. Like, where do you think he got it from? Like, yeah. Like this has been happening since the beginning of popular music in America, but also this is still going on today. Like we all know this is still happening. Uh, uh, Things don't get big until a white person does it. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And this is also why I think there's so much hubbub over little Nas X, whether you like his music or not, little Nas X is a multi genre musician and he's successful in all those genres. And And he's talented. Yeah, whether you like his music or not, he's very talented. I mean, people still get mad when you call Michael Jackson the king of pop, regardless of any of the outside of the music stuff. Michael Jackson came from this type of multi-genre background. And one of the reasons why, another reason why I picked Robert Johnson is because you can do a movie about him. And if you want to throw in some of the fantastical, you absolutely could do so. Because growing up during this time with, um, with, you know, outlawing of alcohol, the fact that a lot of black uh, musicians could not get playtime in in clubs because they were segregated, things like that. You could absolutely throw in a, is it real or is it not real deal with the devil type moment? Yeah. And and give some of that fantastical kind of fear and loathing and, in Las Vegas type hallucinogenic stuff to go along with it. Plus it would put them the, in the spotlight. And the fact that, his his death has some mysterious circumstances. They're not exactly sure what he died of. That there, there, there are some yeah. people that suspect poisoning. There are some people, and the fact that he died so young, it's definitely a uh, deal with the devil sort of a thing. Um, yeah, no, I think I think he could have a lot of fun. So the the thing is, is that this guy shows up, plays a bunch of music, dies real young, and then we don't figure it out for thirty years. What what's the movie like? Like what's the what what? Give me a like a an elevator like a plot synopsis here. I mean, it's, yeah. What's I, what's your arc? What what's the story? I think the movie could actually because um it is said that he does have a child. I think you could do this from the perspective of the child trying to figure out more about his father and his background. But then you start getting into some semi supernatural stuff because again, oh, like pose it like a mystery. Yeah, and okay, and also. And the reason why the music kind of turns up is because the kid finds it. Because let's be real, he made a Faustian deal, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and maybe he didn't, because let's be honest, when you do a Faustian deal, you don't necessarily get what you want. Right. So yeah, sure, maybe you made great music, but nobody hears about it until after you're dead. Mm-hmm. So you became famous, you got the deal, just not when you wanted it. 
Right. One of the one of the suspected causes of death is syphilis. It's like congratulations, you can make the greatest music ever, but you got the syphilis. Also, oh, also, one of the other legends is is that he was flirting. He was using his music to flirt with a married lady and got poisoned by her husband. I love so, that. So, um, Michael. Uh, so, I have a question for you then. Mm-hmm. Who would you cast as him, and who would you cast as the as the uh, the child? Oh, yeah. So, Sadly, he has passed. But if he was still alive, I would absolutely cast Chadwick Boseman. Oh, that's a good. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Chadwick Boseman will play Robert Johnson, and since we love him, and I know his name's going to pop up a lot more, Donald Glover as the son. All right, all right. Because again, I like it. I, because also, and now I think Little Nas X could play the son too. I because I like young, suave, musically talented black individuals for musical roles especially when it comes to black music um and i think donald glover's really good at it and we also know he can dance like let's be honest so if you don't have chadwick boseman i was going to pause the suggestion because he's done similar movies before he has the musical chops you could go with jamie fox yes now now he's a bit older than the role would need that's the thing you could even have donald glover be like Robert Johnson, Robert, Robert Johnson, Johnson. Robert Johnson, absolutely. Um, One of the things that works in your favor here, Jason, is that there's only three known photographs of Robert Johnson. Uh-huh. So you can make a lot of inference as to the the look of someone when you've only got three reference photos. So your casting choices are, are pretty wide. But he is a he's a very tall, very slender man with very long fingers. They they one of the uh, proposed causes of death is that they thought he had Marfan syndrome. Yep, which leads uh, uh, very long fingers, very tall and thin, very hyper flexible in the joints, but it leads to a lot of uh, uh, heart problems. So they did they believe that one of the causes of death might have been aortic dissection? You know, where the the aortic arch just kind of splits on its own. Yeah, they they also they they also attribute that to why a lot of people can't emulate his style of music um, is because he's got those such long gangly flexible fingers he yeah. can do chords and things that other people can't do because they just can't reach them exactly one of, one of the things that i thought was really cool was i was reading on his biography about how his multi-tonal music style and how that is the influence and then perfected by bb king like so without robert uh sorry without um robert johnson we wouldn't have bb king oh. and it's like oh dang so the other the other thing to consider for this is this is a movie that would have one of the most amazing soundtracks oh, ever yeah. because not only his music it, it, like his style of music it, it like itself could be employed but every influence if we're doing like a child yeah. looking back or not even a child looking back but like um a couple of generations yeah, later somebody ancestor, looking back yeah. an ancestor looking back you've got all of that breadth of music all the influences can be part of that soundtrack yeah and, absolutely so, and so, I, so good. i'm wondering um what I think would be really neat, and this is like, this is what I want to see from Hollywood. So the descendant is either Donald Glover or Lil Nas X, your headliner. And then can we get some actor from Mississippi with a proper Mississippi accent, not somebody doing a Mississippi accent to play this man? I mean, let's be honest. We could look at the entire cast of Nashville. If there's, uh, <laughs> I know it's not. <laughs> I'm Mississippi, but it's close. Yeah, and- I mean, I've never seen that, but uh, yeah, sure. Uh, all the southern states are the same. Just grab them from one well, to all south. <laughs> Bama, he's from Bama. It's close enough, right? I don't. Be, I don't mean that, Chet. Don't. That's kill a me. joke. That's a joke. We're no, being facetious. You no, know, <laughs> you know, Vox talking about 
you know, the soundtrack and how you can have his music plus all his musical, the people influenced by his music. B.B. King's done that, which is funny. B.B. King did an album called Riding With My Friends, where, nice. he, his, where he took some his his best songs and did them with folks like Eric Clapton and so so forth. So that would be awesome, especially if you could do covers of his songs in the genres of music that were inspired by him. Because let's be honest, Slipknot, R.I.P. drummer, um, doing a blues cover, I'm here for it. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm also all about Donald Glover playing him and then performing his music for the like yeah. for the actual recording. Oh, and I because he's got oh, the talent. He you does. just you just made me realize something. If Donald Glover is going to play the Sun, we've already seen him do and sing his own blues once already. Sam Jackson is Robert Johnson because he sang he sang those songs in Black Snake Mode. He sang those and played the guitar. The only yeah, the but only then just, we have his, go ahead. Yeah, Robert Johnson died at twenty seven. Yeah, I get that's it. That's why I say that's why I say Donald Glover as him. And then someone else's uh, would like Lil Nas X even as Our, the Descendant works. I, I feel like we're going to have to use a lot of CGI and make Sam Jackson look like he did when he was younger, like we did in Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> I mean, that could work. That could work. It works. Captain Marvel, it was subtle. So, I mean, I'll take it. And now, Donald it. Glover is 37 years old. And I'm going to say this now because I, I'm going to bring him up again later. He's 37 years old, but he's got a baby face. So he could play young. I have, oh, an, I, have a, I have another choice while we're talking. He's a little older. He's 46, but he also has a baby face, plays young, can sing, has chops, tall, thin. Andre 3000. Ooh. And Ooh. Andre 3000 does play aloof and kind of, you know, weird. So like a person who only who only lived mm-hmm. 27 years old, like that adds a lot of mystery and, and oddity to their life. And he kind of looks like him. I mean, he's got the the he, the, the beard and the. He's got the height. Yeah. He's got the yeah. He there we go. I mean, That's Andy, Andy, Andy Andy played Hendrix in Jimmy All by All Is By My Side. Yeah, really good. I mean, yeah, yeah, and it's solid. And I love probably the thing that stuck out to me why I chose him over the other two people that I have um, is because of the fact that there's mystery, not only about his music, his style of music, but about his life and his death. Every aspect of his being is shrouded in urban legend, mystery and intrigue. And it's, it's very much so intrinsically black. Like, so, so your pitch is that it's the devil goes down to Georgia and the prophecy. Yeah. Because spoiler alert. Um, I mean, uh, the guys who did Devil Down went down to Georgia were all white. <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, Charlie Charlie Daniels band is what it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, they appropriated that legend as well. So we need to fix that. Although I do enjoy Devil Went Down to Georgia. It's a good song. Um, mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't like me, but it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, I, I I definitely think you know Devil Went Down to Georgia meets Ray. Or walking the line, mm. probably one of my favorite Walking Phoenix performances. Man, mm. I've still yeah. never seen that. I should. I really should. So good. What about Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? <laughs> I haven't seen that one also, either. Also, oh, not ridiculously bad. good. Yeah, if you watch them back bad. to back. It's actually really good. <laughs> it's one of the few Will Ferrell movies that I actually can stomach. That's not a movie. John C. Riley in his yeah. orbit. It's, it's 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 that style. They're inter they're interchangeable. Although John C. Riley is 
absolutely a better actor than exactly. he is. John yeah, C. Riley was in one of my favorite musicals of all time, looking at you, Chicago, because you got the queen. He's so good. His off. Mr. Cellophane is fantastic. Yes, so good. So good. The only um, got range. Getting back to your movie, I think that this would do well. Hollywood loves making bio pictures about musicians. I mean, respect is out right now. Um, and if it was done well with, you know, let's not cast like somebody completely inappropriate. Scarlett Johansson cannot play this role. No, ScarJo, you cannot play Robert Johnson. We already Johnson. agreed. We already agreed she was going to be in Young Guns, but the. You know. <laughs> no, um, I mean, you're right. Like you've got Ali, Respect, Ray. Um, uh, the, Forty-two. Yeah. They're, have they done a Stevie Wonder one yet? Oh, I don't think you should do one when he, they're still alive. Yeah, he's, right? he's still, he's he's still, still alive. Crazy. We he's can't do crazy. it yet. <laughs> Although there is a documentary that they did where they found footage in a basement somewhere of a film festival back when Stevie Wonder was like 19 years old. Nice. And like, it's amazing. Because you're like, this is a 19-year-old kid. He's definitely going to be a star we we heard a recording of him when he's like 10 or 13 and you could tell he's going to be a star like he was so amazing as a kid um all right so this sounds like a great movie i am there i will go opening weekend uh jen who would you like to make a movie about so mine isn't going to be nearly as cool as y'all's i don't know but um this person that i find pretty intriguing his name is uh charles john jockin he is an English American and he was a baker on the Titanic. Oh, the chief baker on the Titanic. And yeah. Jason's already like, what? Well, I didn't know. Like, guys, spoiler alert. I didn't know who she picked. Yep. So no, this is, a, surpri- this is a surprise to me as well. So I'm like the head you. pastry chef on the Titanic. Yes. I'm with it. Okay. I'm in. Um, the thing that he has going for him is he was the very last person to step off the Titanic when it was sinking. Oh, and survived. Oh, the reason he survived was because he was drunk. <laughs> Good for him. <Yes>. So, <laughs> so Charles Jockin was off duty when the Titanic did start to sink. Um, I guess he woke up immediately when the ship hit the iceberg. He heard from his crew. He had 13 men working under him. He heard from his crew that the um, the lifeboats were being lowered and people were being put on them. And so the first thing he did was start getting provisions of bread and biscuits and such like that out of his area of the kitchen to send two lifeboats. They got about four loaves of bread per boat. He, because he was um, the chief baker, so he was over top, he was supposed to captain one of the boats, but there was already two stewards and another pilot on there. So he did not take his place on the boats. He started helping women and children get on the boats and and have them take his place. He was one of the ones that literally manhandled women onto lifeboats that turned back and thought they were safer to be on the Titanic. And he admitted later on that, yes, he literally started throwing people onto boats. Nice. <laughs> this would make um, this would make the Titanic movie from the nineties so much different if Leo. He, he was got deleted. They actually did put him in the Titanic movies, oh. but deleted all of the scenes. Oh, oh no! Because they didn't want him to be a laughing stock. It was a three-hour movie, right? Jesus. Right? So anyway, um, 
after he had thrown people onto lifeboats, he decided to go down to his cabin and have one drink. I guess he had multiple bottles of whiskey in his cabin that he had brought on. Yes. So he had half a tumbler the first time, um, continued on to uh, helping take people off the boat. There was at one point he was in his cabin when the boat did break in half. Um, he ended up finishing the bottle of whiskey before heading up to yep. <laughs> heading up to the top of the boat. Um, and he was on the deck when the boat started to lilt to the side. He was he everybody else was thrown off the to the side of the boat into a pile except for him because he was already holding on to a railing. So he just continued up to the top. Because he sloshed. Uh, yeah, literally. I love this. At this point, he was about two bottles in. Woo, that's how you do it with your life. Listen, okay. You tell me the entire time that there was panic on this boat. Charles was the only one that was completely calm because he's wasted. He was. He was giving. <laughs> he was giving orders to other people and having people evacuate and such like that. Um, he did nod to the band that did continue to play. That was true story. Yep. He nodded to the band as he went by. Keep it going, boys. And, and they did keep playing until the very end. Um, and he was the last person standing on the boat until 2.20 a.m. on April 15th. Um, he rode to the bottom. He rode the boat like an elevator. So basically, he stood at the end of the boat while it sank, and he just sat there. So he is the guy from the movie that's just standing on the stern as it goes down. He is. I love that, that story. True story. Yes. Um, so his feet started treading water at 2.20 a.m. And that is when all personnel stopped being paid. Oh. From the Titanic. Damn. I, that, that, <laughs> that's harsh, man. Right? I just, I just want you guys to know that the only reason he probably stood there was because he knew. He knew they were going to cut that paycheck off. <laughs> I got bills to pay. <laughs> But wow. now the entire time, um, like he was ready to just jump off. Uh, he did have a bottle of whiskey with him. Yes. On his person. Bottle three, y'all. Right. Let's go. And although most people died within minutes because of hypothermia and scientists cannot figure out how he survived because where he had all that alcohol in his system, he should have, um, yeah. he should have died sooner. Yeah. Yes. Well, but I, I, they think because the water was so cold, his veins contracted much more quickly. And that's basically what saved him. From yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reading. Uh, I, I've actually got an article from the National Post here where they talk about it's the uh, when you get in cold water, your veins contract. Mm-hmm. But when you're drunk, they expand. Mm-hmm. And he was so drunk that he was able to stave off hypothermia longer than other people. Yep. And yeah. there's even a line here from a doctor uh, from an ER doctor, um, it says in an ER, cold patients who are really drunk can walk in and they're conscious at a temperature that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, two bottles in and halfway through finishing his third, this guy's bobbing around the North Atlantic, dodging ice cubes. Having and a great time. Let this be a lesson to you. Drinking won't warm you up, but being schnockered drunk <laughs> may save, we'll save your, your life. life. Well, like the- I love that. I love that they cite that the only problem he suffered after they rescued him was that his feet were swollen. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he had no other signs of illness. Like this is for the. I. Listen. So so he tread water for about two hours until dawn arrived. Damn. Um, and there was a lifeboat that was full of people, and he was able to make it out to them, but it was full. 
There was a cook on board that recognized him and held his arm as he had his arm hooked over the boat and held onto his arm for him until another lifeboat came by and there was just enough room. I, so they brought him up and he was able to be rescued that way. In See, my Jack could have lived if he didn't a little yeah. more. No, 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 no. In my mind. Rose could have gave him room listen, on that damn listen. door. In my mind, he's being held by his cook's mate as he's slugging that bottle of whiskey. Mm-hmm. And watching gotta, and, and watching Jack's corpse float by. Yeah, watching. <laughs> I gotta I gotta I gotta keep expanding my veins here. Oh god. So what's really cool is that after all this, right? Did he get up on another boat? This is my story. Stick to your own side. Okay. Um, he actually kept baking on other ships for the war. He joined the Navy. I mean, why would you want to go in the Navy after almost dying from drowning? Listen. But he joined the Navy, uh, kept baking on other ships, including in the Second World War troop ships. Um, he wasn't on the Philadelphia, was he? No, but he was on the SS Oregon that sank in the Boston Harbor in 1886. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at least he was, and again, at least he wasn't under Philadelphia because in the Boston Harbor, you could be saved. Right. In the Philip, in all oh, the Philadelphia, that was shark infested waters sunk by a sub. That's not good. But he did not die until 1956, where he did die from complications of pneumonia. Although it was only, or also registered that they think he just died of a broken heart after his wife died. Oh, oh the, the or maybe cirrhosis yeah. of the liver. <laughs> the complications due to pneumonia. It's just the Titanic catching up to him finally. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Titanic mad. Death shows up and it's like, look, I gave you a pass. Mm-hmm. I gave you two <laughs> passes, bro. You were on two sinking ships, dog. Yeah. You can't avoid this one. He's like, you got another bottle. Um, I'm sorry. His wife. I, I'm just happening to notice this. Uh, she was a widow twice over and had a daughter named Rose. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. Oh, no! Now, right? <laughs> oh, no. That's terrible. So, so wait, do you think maybe he, he, he watched Leo sink and was like, man, that Rose, she was cold blooded. I think I'm going to name my firstborn. Well, no, it wasn't his kid. No, it wasn't his kid. It oh, was the his wife. Yeah, they got she married. They had a kid. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> just really yeah, so funny. He's a, so he's a stepdad, a baker, a two-time sunken ship survivor, like a war vet. Um, yeah, no, this guy's sad. nice. Mm-hmm. All right, so so who plays him in the movie? So I went through a couple of people. Nathan Lane being one of my choices. Oh, good choice. But I don't think Nathan Lane could be calm enough. He he's always very high pitched. <laughs> yeah. Keanu Reeves is my other choice. Oh, Keanu? Keanu Reeves is so calm. Um, and actually, if he grew a mustache, could look like the actual um Charles Jock. Have, have you oh, seen oh. him try to grow facial hair? <laughs> We're gonna need a prosthetic. Um, how old was he when he died? Or how old was he when this happened? Oh, I don't know. If he's that patient, he's probably in his either late 30s, early 40s, maybe. Well, I mean, he started baking on boats at 11. 78, so 20. He would have been 34. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so let's go with a young, a young Englishman who could probably stay calm under pressure. Cillian Murphy. Cillian Murphy, yeah. Um, I, w- I, w- I would also say maybe Jude Law. I, I actually have... A suggestion because when I look at his picture, this is the actor that jumps out at me, and you look, and it's not a favorite actor of this podcast. Let me tell you, Uh-oh. he looks like Shia LaBeouf. 
Oh, but oh, here's a go. I, I, I have to give Shia LaBeouf some credit uh-huh. because I saw the movie he did about his father and how his father raised him growing up into acting. Uh, I think it's Sunny Boy, I think it's called. Okay. He's exceptional. I think he's very talented, actually. I, I do Shia, think he's Shia talented. has grown on me. He's been in some unfortunate movies, like unfortunate choices for him. Mm-hmm. He is a far better actor than the movies he has been in in the past. His episode of Hot Ones was awesome. Also, um, he's an actual cannibal, so I'm not going to say anything bad about him. Wait, what? Afterwards, look up this. I, I, I will share the song Actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf. It's, okay. it's a wonderment. But anyway. Um, uh, I will say another actor that would be good is the kid who played the drummer in that movie with, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, it's where the guy's a band director and he's super abusive to this drummer. And I cannot think of the name of the time in life. It's um, it's um, J.K. Simmons plays the band director. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. You guys go on. Let me look this up. Um, so, Jen, do you uh, see this as a drama? Do you see it as having comedy in it? I'd have to say drama, although I would be the one back here laughing. <laughs> Mostly because he's just sitting there tipping like, back tumblers. Played for serious, but with like the yeah. humor of the situation. Yeah. So do you have like any directors or uh, writers in mind? No. Yeah. Oh, wow. Why I'm, did my brain yeah, I'm, I'm too bad with names. Spielberg? Okay. Spielberg, so maybe? My brain just went Wes Anderson. Oh, <laughs> you win. You Oh, oh no, no, no. We talked about him last night. Taika Waititi. Oh, you like know can what? do serious. Yeah. 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 So I have an idea for a concept of how you could do this movie. Uh, you know how they say that, um, you know, if you take Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and you drop the stylus when the lion roars at the beginning of Wizard of Oz, that the two are synced. If you could do the story of Charles Joffin, the baker aboard the Titanic, and do like a side-by-side with the original Titanic movie from the 90s, but have them link up. I would love to have so like... As things are yeah. happening, you know, oh, so while Leo's, you know, drawing naked French girls, he's, you know, baking loaves or something. And just <laughs> have them, have them all line up in sync. I'd love to have like just a little bit of like whenever we're seeing him, uh, like you can see kind of in the background the the people having dinner or whatever, and you're like, oh yeah, Titanic is happening behind all of this. Just you know, he he's got <laughs> he's got like a, like a tray of goods that he's delivering, and he has to step out onto a wing, you know. And as he opens the door, you hear my heart will go on playing in the background. <laughs> he turns and he looks to the to the foxhole of the ship, and you know the, the I'm the king of the world, and then you just go, what the hell are they doing? Goes back in, the music stops. He goes back to delivering bread, and he goes out to to find where he left his jacket. Turns around and is like. Somebody stole my jacket. What happened? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, so, so, Jason, you were thinking of Miles Teller in Whiplash. Yes. Yes, Whiplash. That's a very good movie. Miles Teller is exceptional. J.K. Simmons acts the hell out of that movie. Yeah. I, it's All it's right. got to have a touch of comedy because, I mean, it is the funniest story. I instantly, I was like, if, 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 if you could go back in time, John Cleese... Hey, hey, hey. As a as as before a, he became a jerk. As a as a person who has done a lot in the food industry and has and was a military cook, there were days where I definitely was on the grill sloshed out of my mind. So obviously this could happen. 
This is as, as somebody that worked in a bakery or multiple bakeries, um, but uh, booze in the bakery is a thing. It is a whole thing so, because we 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 have like whiskey and rum in some of our dishes, but there's a lot more in the chef's as, bellies than there are in the bakery. As goods. somebody who is in the navy, um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, as someone who enjoys baked goods, I can... and whiskey. Oh yes, um, I, I'd love to do a product tie-in. Mm-hmm. Find a good Irish distillery and just. Oh, yeah. Product place the crap out of it during this. Absolutely. Oh, oh. and Jen, you know, Jen would you help us taste test? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> he he's a he was the head pastry chef, obviously, right? Like he's the head baker, so he's got some good stuff in that. Like that's that's some good stuff. Like I wanna, that is some, that's some fine whiskey. Like I I want to I want to try his pastries. <laughs> I mean, I, I love it. You know, there's a there's a TikTok channel out there where or a YouTube channel where people try recipes from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to see them try like the way baked goods were done back then. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I am I am so taken taken aback by how great this was, Jeff. You hid this from me. <laughs> Feeling a little offended. And, and my, my I, I, be as good as your guys is yeah. By the way, here's this hysterical yeah, story. So now, now I gotta, now I gotta follow that up. Right. So, so you know what, you know what this is, Jen. This is proof that I am never, ever playing darts or pool with you ever, because you are a shark. <laughs> Under in that hair, there's a giant fin. <laughs> oh, I don't play pool. Rack them up, boys. Break out, Lucille. Listen, don't listen. People all the time come at me, and they're like. You hunt, right? Like, there's a, Friday, there's a guy that I work with who asked me, he was like, Hey, no, this is a little serious. He goes, Hey, man, you know, my dad passed away. He never got to take me hunting. Will you take me hunting? I was like, Sure, but Jen will have to come. He was like, Why would Jen come? I was like, uh, mm-hmm. Jen's better with mm-hmm. a knife than me. She she deconstructs a corpse way better than me. There's who do you think is going to address that game? I ain't doing it. There's <laughs> a great meme online for like these little videos and TikToks that I keep seeing. And it's like, Why are you looking at him? Don't look at him. Look at me. He's not going to help you. <laughs> Just I, overlay I, that on Jen. <laughs> I have to give you. Uh, I have to give you props for the the phrase "deconstructing a corpse," <laughs> not dressing the animal. Deconstructing a corpse. <laughs> that is ominous. I am now <laughs> scared. Spoiler: <laughs> Do you not see this look on her face? Alaska is a scary place. You learn look, things. Look, right, if, so- I, if I if I happen to be in the area and I happen to, to, to stumble upon a body. <laughs> So, by the way, Jason, I love how you're like, you hid this from me, Jen. Well, you told all of us you were going to be talking about somebody else, Jason. Indeed. (laughs) That is true. That is true. But don't get wrong. But you'll save that for the next time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next time. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do this again. And and let's be honest, I've seen enough white guy mob movies to, 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 to build a house with. So... Okay, the listeners have no idea what we're talking about. So, Vox, it is your turn. Okay. So, um... When I think of heroes, uh, I go to I go to a little bit of a similar place. Tech is Canadian wartime heroes, um, and the first name that came to mind, even and it, we're we're talking unsung. I've read about this man many times before in the past, and even then, the name I had to, I had to look him up still based on one feat of of um, spooky bravery that uh, that uh, he was known for. Uh, the the man uh, I'm going to talk about is uh, Thomas George Prince. Thomas George Prince was a uh, a First Nations Canadian war hero. 
the man served during World War II and the Korean War. He was uh, from the Ojibwe Nation, uh, just in Manitoba, and is the most decorated First Nations uh, soldier in Canadian history. This is a man that uh, I will start. I will start by saying they were going to make a, a feature movie about him ten years ago. It has not happened. He is well and good deserving of it, not just for the fact that he served voluntarily uh, despite being turned down several times because of institutionalized racism, but because he was one of the most badass Canadian mil- uh, like military men of all time. The the feats that this man uh, accomplished just are, um, it, they're cinematic and, and in the way that you'd be like, oh, come on, you're making that up. The feat that I speak about, uh, like having remembered the res- the one that resonates with me is it, it, it has to do with feet is <laughs> during quiet times, uh, on the front lines when they would have those lulls in at the night where there'd be a little bit of back and forth, but not so much. He and several other people from the, uh, the, uh, the, what was the brigade? I gotta, I gotta remember the exact. Devil's brigade? So from, no. from the devil's oh. brigade no. would, uh, no. they would, uh, they would, uh, camo up, sneak into German lines, and they would, they were, uh, they earned the name the Devil's Brigade for the brigade because they would kill every third German in the trenches quietly, nobody catching on, and then steal everybody's boots. They'd steal their boots and leave. <laughs> Imagine being a soldier on the front lines and waking up yeah. to, oh God, the guy next to me is dead. Hey, where are my boots? That's so, a, that's, pro- that's for, proper psychological warfare, right? There. For for folks out there who may not realize, one of my favorite and best, most morale boosting moments when I was deployed was getting a care package sent to me with fresh, undone socks. <laughs> so if so, if someone stole my boots and I had these new. I'm going to murder that man, whoever that is, it was. That is the most demoralizing thing you could oh, ever terrible. do at that point. But it, that's that's how the Devil's Brigade earned their name is because they they were the devil's own. They came out of nowhere. They killed. They stole their boots and they left. Nobody heard them. He was known to walk around in moccasins at night just for that purpose of being more quiet. And folks. But sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and folks, yes, we are putting more demoralizing than death. So, yes, so your boots being taken, yes, is more more demoralizing than death because death was a constant. You become inured to death when it's literally every day. There were waves of fighting where men, where thousands of men died in seconds. Ever had cold, wet feet? I'd rather die. I'd rather die, thanks. Yes, yes. Trench foot is a thing. All right. So, so, uh, by the way, just people, if you want, if you've been eating, don't Google trench foot. But if you want to see something (laughs) gross, Google trench foot. Uh, Vox, continue. I do not want to celebrate, however, the the man for the fact that he was a scary killer. He was a he was he was a man who grew up uh, grew up hunting, uh, hunting in the in the in the forest, tracking prey. Knowing how to knowing how to track and kill. That's not what I want to want to celebrate about this man, though. There are a few other, there are a few feats during war and outside of war that are that are more worthy of a movie. During a front lines engagement in France, where Allied and Nazi soldiers were were going at the, like uh, they were at a stalemate, 
back and forth. There was artillery barrages going on. There were emplacements there that were well entrenched and nobody could make any, any headway. He was tasked with reconnaissance for reconnaissance. He took 1500 feet of telephone wire or sorry, 1500, uh, sorry. Yeah. 1500 meters of telephone wire. So a, a, a kilometer and a half of telephone wire and went within 50 meters of enemy lines to a barn that was there. I'm sorry, this wouldn't be France. This is in Italy. Uh, he went to a barn, posted up in the barn at night, and started reporting for days on end where all the Germans were positions were over that wireless tele, that wired telephone line in uh, detail that was noted as being like it was. It was his attention to detail was insane. They they were able to get artillery positions, forward lines, numbers of troops in place, movements, everything enough that when the when the battle kicked up again. They were just absolutely destroying German artillery positions. During the course of this battle that ensued, the line was cut by shrapnel or something. And this shows the bravery of this man in the end. It's the selflessness in place of mission. He put on a pair of coveralls, grabbed a hoe, and walked out of that barn in the midst of the battle with the Germans 50 meters away from him. We're talking like... You could see, uh, like, a football could be tossed to them, uh, tossed to them distance. And they looked and went, there's a farmer in there? And he proceeded to to tie his shoe so he could fix the line, and he went back in and kept reporting. I love this guy. This I, I, I love a- that he, he was spotted by German soldiers, a First Nations Canadian, and they're like, oh, it's a farmer. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, they were, they were confused. I picture they were just too confused to figure out what's going on. So in, in the movie, there would be a German perspective of, what's that? What, there's a yeah, guy yeah. in there? What, uh, should we, should we capture it? Uh, no, I don't want to go out there. They're bombing the, like, they're bombing that place. Okay. Just like that. And, so, on, top, and on top of that, though, like, you got to think, you're probably, that farmer's probably in there for days because, He's surrounded on all sides. Yeah. He's not yes. going anywhere. So on top of that, uh, later on during the, during the, during the war, and he, like he was, he was special forces. So essentially he was bounced around to a, a bunch of places. He was caught behind enemy lines with him and a private while he was a recon sergeant were caught behind enemy lines. Uh, they were making their way towards a French position that they knew of when a firefight broke out between the French and the, and the Germans. They took up a position between the lines and started shooting the Germans and killed so many Germans that the Germans retreated. Two people. When the Fre- when they showed up to the French lines to report, the French commander that was there went, you're here. Amazing. Where are your men? And he went, uh, expecting like 50 allied soldiers to be there. And he went, we're here. We're here. This is us. That was supposed to get him a French commendation. Like they sent a courier out with a, with word to, to, to command to get him a, a commendation, a medal. But the courier died and the commander died before it could be, it could be issued to him. Yeah. So during war, this man was, uh, he excelled as, as a recon soldier, as a, uh, as a uh, paratrooper, as a, as a, rec- as a reconnaissance man. He was uh, the, he was it, it was one of the earliest cases of special forces in wartime, like he, of a soldier of that time and the epitome of what that should be. But when he left war, uh, when he left uh, the, the first or uh, the second world war, he became an advocate for his people. Mm-hmm. He uh, went to, uh, despite having, you know, started out leading a fairly quiet, well, 
you know, trying to lead a fairly quiet life. He was injured in a bar fight. He was, he was uh, cut with a bottle and it resulted in like 64 stitches in his face uh, and decided that living in the, living as um in the, in the reservation at the time with his mentality with the post-war and everything wasn't for him. So he went to Winnipeg, founded a business, uh, which was fairly successful, got married, but then left to advocate for his people and fight against the oppressiveness of the Indian Act in Canada mm-hmm. and to try and get revisions made that would help his people. Well, when because he, he, when he returned, he couldn't vote yep. and he didn't get veteran benefit. That's, this is the thing is he was not treated essentially as a Canadian by the Indian Act at the time. And he enacted reform that uh, he helped enact reform that unfortunately did next to nothing. And he became embittered, went back to Winnipeg, found his business was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, it had fallen apart in his absence. Come the Korean war, he volunteered again. He was right there on the forward, uh, the forward missions. He was, he was in the midst of things. It became to the point where he was so, um, so, Gung ho about let's go out let's let's deal let's deal with this problem let's uh, like uh, you me and you you and me we're gonna go deal with this that they had to pull him back from actively leading troops because he was too reckless with them mm-hmm. and it's an unfortunate thing that uh, that as the time went on and post war like the the racism that was embittered or in, in, uh, embedded into Canadian law and still continues to this day to be a major problem in Canada um, it left him a broken man in the end but. That that's also part of the reason why there should be a movie about him well, is to highlight how this man who gave everything for his country and would have would have gladly died for his country uh, was treated so poorly in the end. And yeah. that's yeah. And 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 he was not only did, is he one of the most decorated soldiers, um, and he is one of only three people to earn the the military medal at, from from the Commonwealth and the silver star from the U S Yeah, because the, de- mm-hmm. the devil's brigade was a joint U S Canadian yeah. operation. So uh, he was eligible for medals from both, but he was the, he's only one of three to get a military medal and a silver star. Yeah. Um, so, and hang on one other yeah. thing. He didn't just serve in the second world war after all of that bad stuff that happened to him when he came home. He went yeah. back for the Korean War. Yeah, we, t- yeah, we talked about oh, yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it's just it, the fact that he came home, was mistreated, and still went back. That, mm-hmm. I think, needs to just, that, that's amazing. One of the, <clears throat> a, very, a very common thing we hear in this is that people of color do the thing that white, white Americans and white people of Canada say they should do, excel at it, come home and are like, see, I did the thing. And they're like, ah, yeah, you still suck, though. Yeah, still, it's, it, still it, it's, it's an yeah. unfortunate thing with it with uh, with soldiers in general get that treatment mm-hmm. a lot of the mm-hmm. time, but it becomes it becomes exacerbated by racism and other institutions yeah. that are oppressive. You know, look at, the, look at how the Tuskegee Airmen, the Red Tails, were treated when they yeah. came home. You yeah. were fine enough to save everybody's life over the skies of Europe, but you're not fine enough to share a bus with me. When 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 you get home, um, the we're, we're going 50, right not the five hundred first. There's a five hundred something battalion of Japanese Americans that served in Europe. Um, Mr. Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi from the Karate Kid was uh, one of these. You know the, the people in this regiment that you know you're fine enough to go blow up Germans, but when you get home, I'm still going to treat you like garbage. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're we going- are. 
Mm-hmm. We're going through it right now with what's going on in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. In America, so many soldiers are being assaulted and, and condemned over what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Even though, again, people are like, oh, we love the troops, blah, 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 so forth. But when, so, they're, when, when, they're, when their biases and their racisms and their discriminations rise up, mm-hmm. they forget that those people they're doing that against are soldiers. Like mm-hmm. this, this guy right here, you don't like him because he's First Nation, but he literally won battles. Yeah. yeah. Almost single-handedly. And, and he shouldn't have to have done all of that valor and that extra human effort in order to deserve your respect. I know we I can, all agree on this. I, I, I have I have this idea for a funny scene. You know how they always talk about, you know, there's that there's always that one killer soldier that's got like a necklace of human ears or, you know, a bucket full of faces or something, right? I could just see like Tommy Prince's bunk and it's like just just boots with all their laces tied together, strung up like Christmas decorations. I love that. It's like boots. Fantastic. um, And another thing, a line perfectly suited to the, to, uh, to being in a movie because he received his, he received the, the uh, military medal, uh, which at the time, high, one of the highest honors ever uh, that could be received in Canada. Got it from King George. But the, the line that would be, this is midway through the movie. This would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the perfect line for it, uh, the line that was given when when uh, when he was awarded the military medal, his citation in part read, Sergeant, Sergeant Prince's courage and utter disregard for personal safety were an inspiration to his fellows and a marked credit to his unit. Mm-hmm. If that isn't a perfect line for a movie right yeah. there, I don't know what is. So, right? who, so, do you, so <laughs> who do you want involved? Uh, <laughs> So again, we're, getting, we're at the point where we're like, well, the first Canadian anybody thinks of and the one indeed 10 years ago they were going to cast is Adam Beach. And Adam Beach is an amazing actor. I'm not going to take anything away from him, but he's I, in everything. But he's, but he's in everything. I mean, he was in, he was, he, he was the, he was a, a Canadian First Nations guy who played a Navajo in Code Talkers. Right, right. That leads, leads me to my point. I don't care who you cast or who you want involved in this project, but John Woo cannot be it because no. he butchered Wintalk. No, and so um, as far as directors go, for his, for his eye and his sensibility about war movies and everything, I don't know if he would exactly treat the story right, but I think, honestly, Clint Eastwood's got an eye for that era of movies. 100%. Yep, 100%. Um, for casting, Flags I'm going to say I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, that, I'm gonna say this right now. Let's go with an unknown. Let's take a gamble on someone who shows the passion for acting, who shows the talent, but has never been in anything before. Because that's or even if right they have, they've, they're not like a or not household been name. In, yeah. yeah, not been a household name. Because the, I mean, one of the one of the the the, the first things to do uh, to uh, properly represent people in movies. Um, be it because of their, um, be, be it because of race, creed, whatever, to, to have proper diversity in movies, we need to stop casting the same people. Yeah. All yeah. the time. It, 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 not every black person should be played by Denzel Washington. And he's as amazing. talented and amazing as these actors are. But there are other actors. As much as yeah, we try to cast Donald Glover and everything. Yeah. And, yeah, and we've done that too. And we, we're, we're going to, but, but I mean, we're, we're at, the, at this point, we're also fantasy casting too. But also, so again, he, you know, to be fair with Donald with Donald Glover, he's not been any real major motion pictures outside of that small, tiny cameo in the newest Spider-Man franchise. And solo. Yeah. Yeah, well, listen, there's isn't no he getting one his else. Own? There's no one else you can get to play the smoothest man in Hollywood. It's true. 
Lil Nas X. No, no, no. That's obviously Ruby Rod. And in the in the in the oh, remake, are we now saying? Album. Are we now saying there has to be a crossover between Fifth Element and Star Wars? Where, yes, where, yes. Um, yes. Where, they're where, the same universe. Where, you didn't know? Orlando, no. Orlando and Ruby Rod hang out. Getting okay. getting back to your Tommy Prince movie, <laughs> I <laughs> would love. I don't want Clint Eastwood. I don't want an established white director. I want this to be run by a First Nations director. I think that let's get somebody who has Mm -hmm. enough of the lived experience to really do this justice because I am so afraid of this ending up being the next code talker. Yeah. Yeah, The the reason why we say Clint Eastwood is because of a movie called Flags of Our Fathers, which deals with the six men who raised the flag at Iwo Jima and the backlash that they dealt with when they got home. Very similar to what Tommy Prince... Isn't one of them have the same last name as you one of them is a relation of mine yes Yes. and as a matter of fact he dove into a bottle when he got home and killed himself eventually um it's a very tragic story what happened to those six gentlemen and it was done it wasn't a commercial success but clint eastwood made a very good movie that the critics received very Mm -hmm. very well uh that you know letters from iwo jima showing the japanese side of the same battle very successful movie um i and and i would have worried in the past about some of Clint Eastwood's inclinations as far as politics and such go, but then I watched Grand Torino and I'm like, no, the man is the man is solid for this too. So I was I was just about to say, we talk about Clint Eastwood and his handling as people of color and their culture and things, but Grand Torino is exceptional. He's also mm. 91 years old, man. I yeah, mean, and he does talk to chairs, but he talks to chairs. <laughs> and by the way, this is going to be about a First Nations person. So this is going to take forever to actually get greenlit and off the ground. So can we just cast somebody because from, racism? Not from, yeah, yeah, because of oh, absolutely. Can we just cast somebody from Reservation Dogs as Tommy? That, I was be grown by the time it happens. Hey, I was going to steal. We oh, talked about it last week. Uh, Zahn McLarnan, Zahn McLarnan, who's playing, who plays um, Officer Big in Reservoir Dogs. Like, yeah. Reservation I Dogs? Can, yeah. Yeah, I can see him doing it. Reservoir Dogs is a different thing. That's Quentin Tarantino. But what about the spirit? Oh, Reservation Dogs are. What about oh, the, the spirit? Sp- He's the a guy. Adam Beach? No. No. It's uh, somebody <laughs> Goldtooth. Hang on. Uh, Dallas, Dallas Goldtooth. Okay. Uh, he's He's the spirit from Reservation Dogs. And I think he could play a good Tommy Prince. I don't think he's Canadian, though. So, uh, but that's okay. Yeah, With enough Canadians play ideally, Americans. Ideally, like you would have a, a First Nations director from Canada. Yeah, that would that do. That ideally. would that would uh, if not like a director, you're going to have a huge amount of consultation. You're going to have, you know, it's there's yeah. there is a there is a young actor out there right now trotting the boards, cutting his teeth, waiting for a shot that yeah. could absolutely crush this movie. Same thing. There's a director out there mm-hmm. with a with a uh, you know an SLR camera on a stick filming things in his backyard doing some amazing work that given a little bit of a push, a prod and a couple of bucks could tell an awesome story if we give them that opportunity. And, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And if we're going to keep things Canadian and we go with executive an executive producer for it. We go back to Paul gross because Paul gross knows how to handle war movies. Mm-hmm. So we go Paul gross, maybe, with a maybe young runners or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the, with a young up and coming director mm-hmm. with a, you know, an unknown, an unknown actor. And you can, you can get other people in and around the movie that are better known. Right. Yeah. But Tommy, but Paul gross, be by do me. not wedge in 
a love story and or white people that take over the focus. No. I'm just saying it right now. But yeah, no, I, I think this would be a really great story. I, yeah. I love the idea of highlighting new actors. Um, we just we need more. We need more. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the, and it's and it's we're getting too much of the too many of the same voices. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it comes to you know, big name war movies and everything. And there's there's, there's a reason I, I I avoided another director that has done some pretty good war movies before. And uh, I think Mel Gibson shouldn't even be in this discussion. No, but there's we all know why I'm avoiding him. Yes, yes. By the way, I, I another casting idea. What about the the guy who's like when the the cop asks him, "Where do you live? Where do I live?" I live where the eagle meets the sky. I live where the mountains is. What about you? Oh, I'm his neighbor. I'm his neighbor. <laughs> yeah, see cast one of them. No, the course I can't see. We're in the spirit world, man. Unless somebody tells me that was Adam Beach. I mean, I'm sorry. So this is this is the joke. Adam Beach is is <laughs> Oh, do they all look alike, Nutty? No, they, they're just that's the only person that Hollywood cast. I mean, listen, listen, yeah. it's fine. Let's, let's be let's be honest. He's it's fine. He's got a gilded toilet that he's, he's made. No, I don't think he does. But Adam Beach is a good actor. I, we're, I mean, no no shade look, against Adam Beach. We love him. We're all forgetting just, Adam Beach's greatest role ever, too. He was Slipknot, the man that can climb anything. That's <laughs> <sighs> it's like Adam Beach is the new Lou Diamond Phillips. That's what I think it is. Anyway, all okay. right, my turn. So uh, this is the person that made me think of this because basically this happens whenever I find somebody in history and it's why don't we have a movie? Why don't we have a movie? And so I think that all the time. And this is a person that made me say not only why don't we have a movie? I've been screaming this for the last two years. Let's make a podcast about it. And that is Robert Smalls. And Robert Smalls is, we're going back into the war, sorry. But this time we're going to the Civil War. Uh, He was born in um, South Carolina, uh, born a slave. Uh, His mother was a field hand that then was brought into the house. And when she, when her son was growing up, saw that he was being treated really nicely and insisted he go work in the fields and he be sent to work because she needed him to know the plight of his people. And so his owner uh, would hire him out to do physical jobs. And eventually uh, he started working at the docks and then working on ships and became a uh, a naval type of person, you know, a a hand on ships Mm -hmm. in South Carolina. He um, got married rather young at 17 years old, married a woman five years his elder, and she already had kids. They had kids together. And about the time that he was, I think, 21 or 23, uh, Civil War broke out. And well, you know, wouldn't you know it, the South, they they, they, on their ships, who did they have working? They had slaves working. And so he was working the ships. They wouldn't call him uh, a helmsman. They wouldn't give him that title, but that's essentially what he did. And he was on the, uh, the planter. The name of the ship was the planter. And they had gotten so comfortable with the crew that uh, the entire time he had been plotting with his fellow crew that they were going to steal this 
and they were going to escape up north. They were going to steal the um, the the they were going to steal the ship and they were going to take it up north. And what the uh, the the Confederate Navy guys were doing is when they would stop in port, they would all get off and go stay at a hotel or, or an inn or something. They wouldn't stay on the ship. So one time he's like, okay, can we have our family come see us on board? And they said, sure, as long as they're off by curfew. Family comes on. He informs them of what's happening. They get escorted off and then they all go up river. And at about like 3 a.m., he puts on the captain's clothes and hat and they make off as if they are the, the, the Confederate crew. They do all the right hand signals and everything else, and they are able to escape. They they stop. They get not just they're not just escaping themselves. They're taking the entire cruise family. So they load the boat up with escaped slaves and they go from port to from fort to fort with the proper hand signals. Cool as a cucumber, just including at sunrise after the sun has come up, able to just convince people that he's the white captain and go right on through until he gets to the union side. He brings not only the, um, the ship, which is perfect with the shallow hull for navigating South Carolina waters, but code books, Intel, everything that the union army needed at that point, they, they had no idea. He also was able to tell them about troop movements and where people were stationed and everything else. And he brought all this great intel. So not only does he do this, then he turns around and becomes a pilot for the Union Army. And he fights and goes, keeps going back down south where he could get pulled and, and taken back at any moment. And this man just had so much swagger after the war is done and over. He buys because he was given an award of money for um, bringing the planter to the Union Army, and then they renamed it. Um, because of that, he was able to buy his master's property because his master had not paid his taxes, and he bought it and lived there, and then let the master's wife resume residence in the house that she lived in, but not the master or the former master. And then when the master sues for it, he wins and says, no, 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 you have no claim. I have complete ownership. It does not matter that I'm black. I get to own this. And because of that case, that influenced so many other um, cases that were happening. Uh, He was once in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, I don't remember if it was Philadelphia or another city. He was on a streetcar and asked to give up his seat for a white passenger. And rather than do that, he got off the streetcar. It was written up in the papers as such an embarrassment that led to the integration of streetcars in Pennsylvania for public transportation way back then. Um, he helped bring education for all to South Carolina. He went after the war. He went into uh, first, he was in the South Carolina legislature, and then he became uh, uh, in the House of Representatives and was working federally. He helped bring about the 14th Amendment. Um, they weren't giving him a pension because, of course, he, you know, they there. This is a thing that happened. You know, Harriet Tubman worked as a spy during the Civil War and they never gave her a pension. So eventually they they gave him a full Navy pension, that of a captain. 
um, even though they weren't giving him that title. Um, and it took a while to get there. Uh, his, he held the seat in the representatives house of representatives for the second longest amount of time, uh, for any, um, representative who was black. The person that did it for the most is, um, one of his contemporaries and the seat that he held, uh, never had another Republican until 2011. By the way, Republicans and Democrats were very different viewpoints back in during the civil war or during reconstruction. Um, he, he just has so much influence. You know, he started education. He, he pushed for so much and he just had so much swagger. I think this would be a fantastic movie. The audacity of everything that he does. And I mean, like this, this would be one of those, let's celebrate, let's have fun and watch these antics, but also let's learn about somebody who was amazing. Um, so what do you think? Um, I love the story of Robert Smalls. When you read like the, the war diaries of the work that he did on the river as a river pilot, moving armies back and forth under the noses of the enemy and just the, the, the subterf- you know, going into free slaves and all of his families and then going back and doing it again and again and again. And that what, you know, it, it's just one of those, it, it's one of those stories, right? That, you know, one of the greatest war heroes the union had and their, their greatest sailor, I'll say was a freed slave. Yeah. Um, and it's such an awesome story. Was a slave who freed himself. Yeah. I um, love that part. <laughs> so I'll just add one cool piece of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2004, there, uh, the United States Navy named a ship in his honor. Mm-hmm. The USAV Major General Robert Smalls. It is the um, first ship named for an African-American man. Uh, it is a uh, roll-on, roll-off uh, landing craft. You know, you put the nice. tanks on it, you roll it up to the beach, the tanks fall off the thing. It, it's a it's it, it's a cool ship, it's a cool mission, and it is uh honored to have the the, the name of a, a great dude like, like Robert Smalls. I think that's thematic because he did yeah. so much transporting yeah. and so much stuff. I think it's absolutely thematic for it to be named after him. I also think this would be a good movie to highlight the hubris that caused that allowed this to happen. Because they thought African Americans and, and the blacks were lesser than them and didn't pay attention they were savages they couldn't understand he learned all this stuff by watching them yeah he they were so convinced that these people are our property that they they let this happen and they they literally were like oh i'm gonna talk in front of you like i wouldn't talk in front of my tractor or my dog but it's because it's because they couldn't do what they needed to do without relying on these owned people like, yeah, and that's the crux of the 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 conflict here. Yeah, and he quietly and he just quietly was like, "All right, cool. I'm just taking yeah. notes, house. Don't worry, don't worry. I got you. Don't worry when about I, it." When I'm I find pictures of Robert Smalls, I see him. He's a he's a relatively he's a, he's a big man. Mm-hmm. He's a he's quite he's quite broad. He's um, but not in the shoulders. He's broad across the the midriff. And he, uh, in his later years, yes, when I'm, there are photos. I'm very. Mm-hmm. My thing is, I'm very surprised that he was a house slave. Um, because usually house slaves were light, fair complected black people because yeah, they, he's, he's quite dark. Yeah, because yeah. they couldn't stay in the because they couldn't stay in the sun as long. Right. And so the fact that he was in the house and his mom was like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, no, he's not gonna get used to y'all. Get out there. <laughs> and work in. By the way, I hear my grandmother when I hear this. <laughs> put um, that work in. Don't for, you ain't gonna forget where you came from. You better put that work in. <laughs> um 
By the so, way, I forgot to mention also, he is the the person and his story is what made Lincoln change his mind about allowing uh, free men and escaped slaves fight for the Union. Oh, wow. So remember we watched Glory? Well, you got to watch Robert Smalls before you watch Glory now. I, I, lo- I love I love how Union you get when you say that. <laughs> I got Union? I don't well, know. No, you went all New York. Oh, okay, yeah. You got to watch this fight. Um, so we're going to have to hurry if we make this movie because yeah. there's already two in production. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that last night. Uh, the last time I looked it up, I I hadn't seen it. But you know what? They they it's the, actually the same movie. It's just been re, it's getting rewritten again. Okay. I feel like this is going to be one of those movies that's in development. Hell. Yeah, because it was uh, at first it was Charles Burnett and yeah. Malcolm Mays. If that name sounds familiar, he's the nephew of Tukey Williams, the founder of the Crips. And. Uh, I'm gonna just if he get any if he got any part of Tukey's genetics, he's a big man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh but Ooh. apparently the latest remake, um, or the, the latest one is and you guys watched Black Lightning, I didn't, but apparently it's somebody named Bill Duke that's Ooh. taken over the head. Oh, I hadn't read that. So he took he played Agent Percy O'Dell. Oh in Black Lightning. Oh. So a, a, yeah, okay. I'm so with that, eh? Um, he, as actor or director uh, I uh, what's it say here uh, a biopic of Robert Smalls is being developed by Legion M the Wolper Corporation and Bill Duke so I think okay. he's producing directing because I was going to say he's an older man yeah he's 78 and it's yeah. entitled Defiant Bill yeah. Duke you would know Bill Duke from a lot of things but he was the uh, the agent in charge of the facility the yeah, dark he, black man, yeah. I, I know who Agent Odell was uh, but Tech hasn't watched Black Lightning. Okay. Originally, it was going to be called Steal Away. Yeah. Um, Ooh, also a good name. My casting, and they haven't oh. mentioned any casting on these movies, right? Oh, I know Bill Duke. He was in Predator. Yeah, I was yeah. I was just about to say, he was the dude who was in the the gay relationship with with, with Jesse the Body Ventura. He was the dude shaving in the helicopter. So I have a couple of uh, options. Uh, so one I was thinking was uh, Shamik Moore for for playing Robert Smalls. Um, uh, you may know him as King Sam. He's a rapper and an actor. Um, and then Jason brought this up last night, but um, Winston Duke. He's a little. He looks older than he actually is. That everything happens when he's really young. So we'd have to see if we can get him to look young. Now so, I know, ladies, you want Winston Duke in that Howard sweatshirt. But this is a period piece. It's going to be a period. Now he's going to look I, I good just, in that I sailor. Just, I, I just don't think there's enough opportunities for him to have his shirt off, um, <laughs> which is what everybody wants to see. Okay, if it's we do not need to objectify Robert Smalls. No. Thank you very much. So I have um, I have a different casting because he is a, a rounder, mm-hmm. stouter man. I think it should be Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson. The guy that played Doug Judy on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and he and was I, in Romeo Must Die and I about a million other things. he's a little old. But I agree, he's a really good casting. But, but he has the he has the body type. He yep. has and uh. But the thing is, I don't know if he can do serious. I've only ever seen him do uh slapstick comedy. Uh, and I I'd like to give him that chance. I think I, he'd be perfect. I think some of the best comedy, I mean, some of the best drama comes from comedic actors. Mm-hmm. So I am all for giving these casting choices to comedic actors. I think whenever you take somebody who's really well known for comedy and you put them in something serious. Let's all look at Robin Williams as a perfect example. 
Yeah, one hour photo was you crazy. Get oh. Some amazing acting. Uh, Goodwill Hunting. We're gonna have to do we're gonna um, have a photo on the horror fest. Uh, Dead Poets Society. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. an anime connection in there too. I'm sorry. Yeah, you just you just mentioned one of my favorite psychological horror movies of all time. Oh, one hour photo. Florida. Another cast would be Roy Wood Jr. from The Daily Show because he looks like Robert Smalls. Okay. I can I can kind of well, I am all, all for having a larger actor and I mean larger in physical presence because honestly we don't have enough of that so if we can have somebody who has that kind of presence as a leading man I think that would be awesome especially because hey guess what Hollywood you can have a little bit of a love story here and that is the supportiveness of his wife and all that she does in the background as well. And you can have some really beautiful scenes between the two of them and oh, not and, take away from this movie. Oh, and I'm sure there was a lot of, a, a lot of her being like, go sit down somewhere. You've done enough. And he's like, I no, I'm not done. I ain't done. I ain't done. I can, okay, I can so, still do some more. So you picked Shamik Moore. Mm-hmm. which I didn't know, but I looked up. So that's the voice of Miles Morales from yes. uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I also didn't know that. Sh- I didn't know that one, there's a TV show uh, out there now called Wu-Tang and American Saga, which is the story of the Wu-Tang clan. And Shamik Moore is playing Raekwon. Yep. Sure. I now need to watch this show. How do I know? How did I not know this was out? I don't know. Chef, baby. But, you know what they say about the Wu Tang. Anyway, we're moving on. Yes, you, they you are nothing. They are nothing to mess with. It. Yes, nothing to. I mess heard with. they are not to be messed with. Yes, yes, that's it. So I, <laughs> I think we have five, five, yes, five yeah. amazing movies right here. So, all right, Hollywood, it is now in your court. We've done the up. hard work. Hmm? Get us up. Get us we up. Need, yes. We need producer credits. I mean. Yeah. A nice little IMDb credit might be nice and or all that. Or just let me die in the background of one of these movies. Yes, absolutely. And honestly, like, because you can't copyright an idea, steal our ideas. Steal them away. I just want to see movies about these people, and I want it to be done right. I do not want code talkers. I do not want you CGIing a, a false nose on anybody's faces. I do not want I'm looking at you, Nina Simone. Uh, it should have been an amazing piece, but then you had to go and do that. Like, I love Nina Simone and, so much. I'm so angry. And whatever the heck happened with Harriet. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't actually slam it. But from what I've read, it's going to be painful for me to watch. And I just haven't been able to get myself to there because Harriet Tubman is such a great story. Like we only know a tenth or rather we were only taught a tenth of what she actually Harriet, did. She was an Harriet Tubman was a savage. I think Harriet Tubman got bodies. I think Harriet Tubman got bodies. I mean, and there's so much more that she did. I mean, she started uh, a whole orphanage and education system after the war. There is so much that she did, and it is a shame that she did not get better treatment in her biopic. I, so, I can't wait till we do this again because yeah. now that we've talked about you know doing this multiple times, and I have multiple people. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention my go-to, my Hollywood crush, who has who, in in pure tech fashion, has nothing to do with me, but Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah as, can as, play as, as the one I picked. As the one oh, I picked. I, I could like wait. You want to do a movie about Queen Latifah? No, 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 no. He's okay. talking his other picks again. Yeah, 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 yeah. My oh, other picks. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, well, I'll understands. cast her in anything. Ugh. Ugh. 
Love you, Dana. If you haven't seen Chicago, go see Chicago. Her so if you home. have an unsung hero that you would like to see a biopic of, let us know. Listen to the info in the outro where you can contact us on Facebook, Discord, email, however, and let us know, or Twitter, Instagram, and however you want to talk to us, let us know who do you want to see a movie of. So I want to thank everybody for joining me today. Uh, Jen, Jason, tell people where they can find your podcast, which you do have your horror fest coming up. So there's going to be more stuff coming out. You can find everything we do over at nerdsvoices.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Nerds of Voices. And you can join our Facebook group, Nerds of Voices, because guys, come on. Literally, seriously. Like, everyone has a voice. Like, it's a thing. It's totally a thing. Um, and uh, Vox, where can people find you? Well, I am the man of a thousand promises who's now delivered on one of them. Don't follow me on Twitter. It's not worth doing. Follow him on Twitter. But uh, yeah, I occasionally stream rambling Grand Theft Auto things on Twitch at random hours of the night. And that'll be changing up when I move and I'll be more consistent with some better product, hopefully. So So he's making more product promises. So don't (laughs) trust him. (laughs) It broke it broke the brand when he when he fulfilled a promise. So yeah. But yeah, check out Sonorous Box. Thank you so much for joining us all. We will talk to you later. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye everybody. Bye. And we want to thank our patrons for without whom this would not be possible. So thank you so much to our patrons who bring you two full episodes a month. Uh, so thank you so much to Jax, Jason, Rich the TT. Those are our top tier. They're, it's actually called the, the street team, but, uh, it has been re-nicknamed by Jason to the Big Daddy tier. Maybe I should change that. Uh, <laughs> and then our patrons of the arts, Andy, Luke, Dare, uh, Mark Cabot, uh, Mark the Encaffeinated One, Melissa the Bathtub Mermaid, the Radical Geek, and Susanna. And for all of our other patrons, without whom, you know, you are the lifeblood. You are what keeps everything going. Thank you so much to Uncle Monster. Grig, Harold, Hugh, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Mike, Patrick, Shane, Stephen, Tibby, Will, and Zach, man. Thank you so much, all of you. You keep things going. You keep me podcasting, uh, especially with the way life has been going. There have been many times that I know I wouldn't be podcasting still if I didn't have that support if I didn't know that people actually cared to listen to our crazy ramblings. So thank you so much for that. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42.